podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on April Fool's Day, the 1st of April, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geoblock from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to libertyshield.com and use the code EPL25 at checkout to get 25% off either a router or the software package. That's libertyshield.com, EPL25. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off. At checkout. Right, folks, it is Friday, which means I do have Mr. Drinkle here with me. So I'm going to quickly run through the gossip and the news, and then we'll do the previews and incorrect predictions for this weekend's games. Before we do that, have a question from Nick Turner that I missed yesterday. So make an 11 of players Chelsea have told have sold too soon over the years. When I say sold, you can also include let go. So I'm assuming it's, you know, including kids that were let go out of the academy a little bit too early. So starting in goal, Thibaut Courtois is the obvious answer here. Now, that's not necessarily Chelsea's fault. There was talk for a number of years that he wanted to leave and he wanted to go to Madrid. He had a, a child in Madrid. I think his ex-fiance or his fiance might have lived in Madrid from when he was playing for Atletico. So Chelsea may not have had full control of the situation, but when you look at the, the facts of it, they sold Courtois and for substantially more money replaced him with Kepa. Courtois is probably top five in the world at the very lowest. Kepa is not even top five in London. So, you know, bit of a downgrade there at quite an expensive price. At right back, I'd go Tariq Lamptey. They got five million for him. I understand they have Reese James, but I also understand it's a squad game and you could have found minutes for such a good talent. There was no real reason to sell him at that point. He'd run down his contract because you weren't giving him games. If you'd give him, given him opportunities, he would have st- stuck around. There's also question marks over whether right back is actually the best position for Reese James, who I think is probably more naturally a midfield player. And I think as a box-to-box midfield player on the right of a midfield three or the right side of a diamond would be absolute dynamite. Played as a midfielder when he was on loan at Wigan and was tremendous. So I do wonder if Reese James maybe could have been moved into midfield a bit earlier with Lamptey getting more games at right back. Obviously, you can still have James's primary position being right back, but you could give him games in midfield to get Lamptey some extra games. Left back, no real standout candidate here, but Tino Livermento is the next fullback on the list. And he's obviously a right back, but he can play left back as well. And it's the same situation. How is it that you can't find games for someone that talented? Tino Livermento is a very, very special player. And you have made an absolute hames of that. So I, I think they have a buyback. But whether or not he'd be willing to go back remains to be seen. Centre-back picked themselves. Fikayo Tomore and Mark Guehi. Those two would start for Chelsea right now. Those two, either side of Andreas Christensen, would be a better defence than what Chelsea currently put out. I would rather have Mark Wehi over the next four to five years than Antonio Rudiger, 
I'd rather have Tamore than either Chalaba, who I do like, or Aspilicueta. And I would rather have Christensen than Thiago Silva moving forward. He's been better than him for the last 18 months. It's just that the media and Chelsea fans want to hype up the ageing old-timer. But based on performance level, Christensen has been superior. So Tamore, currently, if not the best defender in Serie A this season, he's certainly in the top two or three. And Guehi's just been capped by England and has been very, very good this season. So he'd be the other centre-back there. In midfield, Salah on the right, no doubt. They gave up on him very, very early. It was a bizarre decision to make. They gave him so few opportunities, and even in limited opportunities, he still showed flashes of the talent that he had. Went to Fiorentina on loan, really showed what he could do there. Went to Roma on loan and looked great. And then Chelsea just gave up on him and sold him. Rather than taking the time to think, well, if he's doing well there playing, maybe we should play him. Rather than playing, I don't know, Pedro, who was past his best. Willian, who was past his best. Just an idea. On the other wing... I would go Aryan Robin. Now, again, as with Courtois, it may well have been that he wanted to move on. But I still think you could have done more to keep him. When he played for Chelsea, he did play on the left predominantly. It was when he went to Real, he really started playing on the right. But at Chelsea, like when Robin arrived in the Premier League, he was just a different caliber of player. His ability to carry the ball over great distances, beat players one-on-one and beat a string of people was sensational. So I think Arjen Robin has got to be the left winger. In central midfield, Kevin De Bruyne. The guy's been the best player in the Premier League a number of seasons, and you just gave up on him. You didn't give him a real opportunity at all. Sold him off after a brilliant loan spell at Werder Bremen. You just sold him to Wolfsburg rather than just keeping him rather than giving him a chance. You have no opportunity at all. Next to him, Declan Rice. Now, look, can't can't criticise him too much for releasing a 15 or 16-year-old because development's not linear, and some players come along a little bit slower than others. So they may have been looking at that situation thinking, he's not going to make the grade. They look foolish in hindsight. They look even more foolish if they go and buy him now for whatever it is West Ham will eventually take. My bet is somewhere in the 80 to 90 million range, regardless of whatever they say publicly about wanting 150. I think they take 80 to 90. But those two in central midfield, so I've got Salah right, De Bruyne and Rice in the middle, and Robin on the left. Up front, Romelu Lukaku has to be one. This is the first time, obviously, they've... And again... They look a little bit foolish having bought him back. But having seen what he could do on loan at West Brom, how is it that you didn't just give him an opportunity? I get that you had Diego Costa, but Lukaku was the most highly touted young striker in Europe for years. People forget the hype around Lukaku when he was 16, 17, 18 was more than the hype around Haaland when he was 16, 17, 18. Haaland only really became a known quantity when he had that ridiculous game for the Norwegian underage team, and then he moved to Salzburg. But when Lukaku was playing for the Belgian, for the Anderlecht first team at 16-17, everybody was talking about him. Everybody wanted this kid. And Chelsea were lucky enough to get him and then made a hames of it. Sold him for $30 to Everton, ended up paying nearly $100 to get him back. The last one, you can go a couple of ways. So, Tammy Abraham, I think they sold too early. But 
I can understand if the manager decided he wanted to bring back Lukaku. I can understand the decision to sell him on. I still think they let him go too early, but at the same time, it is what it is. You know, they, they thought they were going to get... Uh, they thought they were get, going to get more from Lukaku this season. Playing off him, or playing off Lukaku instead, you could look at Jamal Musiala. Again, it may not be their fault that he left and took the decision to go to Bayern Munich. But if you had a clearer pathway for young players, I think Musiala would have stayed. He'd been in your academy for eight years and by his own admission, didn't see a path to the first team. This kid might go on to be one of the best players on the planet in the next four to five years. And Chelsea just didn't offer a real pathway to the first team. And that's the problem that they've had with Tino Livermento, with Tariq Lamptey, with Guehi, with Tamore. There's just no way for young players to break through. It just hasn't happened. If we look at the players that have come through the Chelsea Academy in recent years, like there's so many talented ones and so few have gotten real opportunities in the first team. Reese James and Mason Mount is about it. But, you know, you look back at the 2000s, players that graduated the Chelsea Academy in the 2000s, Carlton Cole, no one associates him with Chelsea. Scott Sinclair, the same. Robert Hoots, the same. Stoke, Leicester. Uh, Johan Berg Goodmanson. Everyone just thinks of him as Burnley. You know, Jeffrey Bruma, he left to go and get games elsewhere. Patrick Van Aanholt left to go get games elsewhere. Neil Etheridge had to leave and go get games. Wasn't even a path for the keeper to become a backup. Andy King, everybody just thinks of Andy King as that guy that played for Leicester for years. No one thinks of him as an ex-Chelsea player. Miroslav Stock, the same. I'd always think of him when people mention him as a Fenerbahce player, not a Ranger, or not a not a Chelsea player, but it was Chelsea's academy that he was in for years. You know, the players that came through in the 90s, more of them made the grade. Frank Sinclair played a lot of games. Muzzy Izzard obviously went on and was better for Leicester. But Jody Morris played a lot of games for Chelsea. Michael Dubry played a lot of games for Chelsea. And of course, John Terry is the most notable one. But in the 2000s, this pattern of not promoting academy players began, in large part because Roman was spending money left, right and centre. But one of the problems is that when you get into this decade, the 2000s, well, sorry, it would be the last decade now, the 2010s, I mean, Bertrand Traore, does anybody really associate him with Chelsea? Jeremy Boga, one of the most talented wingers in Europe. Christensen took years to get any kind of traction at the club. Thomas Callas was there for a decade. And again, I can name one standout performance because he only played two league games. And that fellow was 26 by the time Chelsea finally let him go after a bunch of loans. Middlesbrough, Fulham, Bristol, Cologne, Vitas Arnhem. Just loans here, there and everywhere. Misses a big part of his career. Misses been able to put down roots. You know, Jack Cork. Everybody just associates Jack Cork with Burnley. You might think of him as a Swansea City or a Southampton player. No one thinks of him as a Chelsea player. Ryan Bertrand did play in the Champions League final, but was sold soon after. Rice. Solanke, Tammy's played far more football for other clubs than he did for Chelsea. Uh, Nathaniel Chalaba. I mean, Hudson Adoy is an incredibly talented winger, doesn't get a look in. Does Mountain James? Tamori was sold. You sold Barini, nobody would, nobody would criticize you for that. But like Nathan Aki, Nathan Aki was a massively talented young defender, had to leave because he couldn't get a look in. Ola Aina the same. I mean, you couldn't have used these guys at some point. These couldn't have been good squad players for you at some point. 
it's it's just such a weird approach that Chelsea have taken. Like there's such a clear hotbed of talent in London, and they have the biggest advantage because of how they've set their academy up to bring in mass numbers year after year. And I mean, Chris Meffham was another one. I didn't even genuinely didn't even know Chris Meffham had been in the Chelsea Academy. Now he was released at 15, 16, so that might be why he went on to Brentford's Academy. But still. And yet so few make the grade, so few get real opportunities. Because in truth, if Mason Mount had been given the type of opportunities that, say, Hudson Adoy was given, where if he has one bad game, he's out of the team, he'd probably have been sold by now. Same for Reese James. They needed games to prove they were good enough, and they never got the opportunity. Now, whether or not Chelsea fans want to hear this, your lives are about to change. You're, you're no longer going to be the big spending club you have been. That's over. You're now going to be a financially sustainable organization, regardless of which of these potential owners buys the club. None of them are going to put massive amounts of money into buying players. You're going to have to generate your own income. You're going to have to be sustainable. Profit and loss will matter for the first time. I don't even know when the last time it did matter at Chelsea because it didn't matter under Roman. It didn't matter under Ken Bates. Ken Bates bought the club for nothing. So when was the last time Chelsea were actually a financially stable organisation? What year did Ken Bates buy the club? I know Matt, and like Matthew Harding had to hold the club up for a couple of years. So in 1982, Ken Bates bought Chelsea for a pound. A pound! <laughs> and Ken Bates ran the club. Chelsea were mediocre for most of Ken Bates' time in charge and then spent themselves to near the edge of oblivion in his last few years, which is how he ended up selling to Roman Abramovich. But, yeah, since the early 80s or late 70s, Chelsea haven't been a profitable organisation. And that's going to change now. And what that should mean is more and more opportunities for academy players, the likes of Harvey Vale, the likes of Levi Colwell. These players should be getting more and more opportunities now. And maybe, maybe in five years we look at Chelsea and think, isn't that amazing? In their match day 20, they've got 14 or 15 academy players. They have a team of their own, a team of kids that came through their academy and will do absolutely everything for the good of that club. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be brilliant? Genuinely. If I was a fan of a club, I would rather have that, like a club like Chelsea. I would rather have that a team I can relate to, a team that I know will go that extra yard, then, you know, silverware bought with money stolen from the hands of Russian peasants. Because that team, and I went through this before, and the team I've just put out, but, you know, you take Lukaku out because they bought him, you put Broya in there, you take Salah out because they bought him, you put Hudson-Odoi in, you put Mount in, you put Gallagher in, um, you know, you get Livermento back, whatever. You, you put those players on a pitch. That team can challenge for top four and potentially win domestic cups, maybe a Europa League. Maybe you get lucky one year with a Champions League run and you could win it. Imagine winning the Champions League with an entirely homegrown team. You'd probably have to buy goalkeepers because they're, they're the one thing Chelsea just haven't produced well. Neil Etheridge is probably the best keeper who's come through their academy. And to be fair, he'd never have been any more than a backup at a club like Chelsea. But everything else Chelsea can produce in bundles. So they could, if they really dedicated their resources to it, they could build their own team from their own academy and have a really competitive group of players. Might not be enough to win the league or even finish second, 
but you could win domestic cups, you could be in the Champions League, you could be in the Europa League at a worst, win that. I, I think that would mean more to me than the soulless, reckless spending that, you know, all you ever do is bring mockery on yourself. And that that's just horrendous. No, like if you won, if you won a Champions League with a team that 10 of them came through your academy and another four or five were on the bench, literally all other clubs and all of the fan bases would have to say that is a massive achievement. That's incredible what you've done there. That's what we would like to be. And maybe it caused a shift in English football to go in a different direction, which would also be nice. Uh, Right, moving on. Uh, Harry Kane has been named the Premier League Player of the Month for the seventh time, equaling the record of Sergio Aguero. Uh, Four goals and two assists for Kane in the month of March. Uh, Nice of him to finally show up this season. Mikel Arteta won Manager of the Month despite the fact that Liverpool won every game. That's a bit weird to me. Uh, I I don't really know how Jurgen Klopp hasn't been given manager of the month. Arsenal lost a game in the month. Liverpool and Chelsea did not. And yet Arteta gets manager of the month and Klopp and Tuchel don't. Liverpool went unbeaten in the month. Oh, they lost to Inter Milan, I suppose, but game they had already, a tie they'd already qualified from. Uh, It's a bit of a strange one. It's a bit of a strange one for Arteta to get that. Bruno Fernandes has extended his contract at Manchester United. He has signed a one-year extension, which will now keep him at the club until 2026, with an option to extend it until 2027. Given that Bruno is 27 years of age, this is probably the last really big contract of his career, unless he has another good season or two and they give him another big deal on top of this. But it looks like Bruno Fernandes will stay at Manchester United for the remainder of his prime, which is uh, is a big, big positive for the club. Right. Uh, what is this then? This is agent fees paid by Premier League clubs during the... During 21-22, league leaders Manchester City are the big spenders here. So let's go through this. City spent £35 on agent fees. Now, considering the only notable first-team addition was Jack Grealish, you'd wonder how much of this has gone to agents on those deals for young Brazilian players that they've brought in. Seems likely that most of it probably has. Uh, Second place, Manchester United, 29 million, almost certainly most of it going to George Mendes. Chelsea spent 28 million. I'd imagine Lukaku's agent pocketed substantial amounts. Liverpool spent 22 million. When he signed Canate Diaz. Jesus wept. Um, Arsenal spent 18.5 million. That will be the old boys network that Edu is paying off. Uh, Leicester with 12. Everton, 11, 11.5. Everton's accounts, Everton's finances are the funniest thing going right now. Uh, Leeds, 11.4 million. Tottenham spent 14. Watford spent 12.5. Wow. Uh, Wolves spent 12, all of it going to George Mendes. Uh, West Ham, 10.5. Southampton spent under 5 million and Brentford spent 3.5. And they're the only two that should be proud of themselves. Everybody else should hang their head. All the rest of them. Right. On to the gossip and then we'll take a break and we'll bring Guy in to preview the weekend's games. Barcelona have made a bid to take advantage of the sanctions placed on Chelsea by trying to sign three of their Champions League winning defenders. So everybody knows they've probably got Christensen locked up 
it looks very likely that Aspi Laqueta goes there. And now apparently Antonio Rudiger is also on their radar. Uh, when you can't buy players because you've got no money, you sign them for freeze and you ask them to take an IOU on the signing bonus. Real Madrid and Wales winger Gareth Bale. That should not be Real Madrid and Wales. That should just be Wales winger Gareth Bale is a target for AC Milan this summer. Um. Okay. I, I look if he if he's in any way arsed, he can still perform. But we saw him at Spurs last year, not arsed for most of the season, and he hasn't been bothered at Real for six years at this point. Uh, Manchester United expect Cristiano to leave the club at the end of the season. Manchester United hope that Cristiano will leave the club at the end of the season. I think is more accurate. Leicester hope to convince Yuri Thielemans to sign a new contract. I think that ship might have sailed. Leicester hope to make three signings this summer. That's uh, from John Percy's article, I'd imagine. Um, Chelsea striker Romelu Lukaku remains unhappy with his situation at the club, and he would like to seal a move back to Inter Milan. Lukaku for Larturo, straight swap, just get it done. Everybody's happier. Douglas Louise could leave Aston Villa this summer as Steven Gerrard has placed a holding midfielder at the top of his list for next season. Well, given Douglas Weiss is not a holding midfielder, I'm not sure how that would really affect him other than he might see less game time. But I'll take him 100 times out of 100 over John McGinn, who I think is one of the most overrated players in the league. Newcastle are ready to hijack Aston Villa's bid to sign Phil Coutinho. Uh, they can try, but I don't think they're going to have any success. If this is true, this is magnificent. Everton are plotting a move for Leicester's Danish centre-back, Yannick Vestergaard. How do you improve one of the worst defences in the league? You buy one of the worst centre-backs in the league, apparently. Good stuff. Leeds are looking at signing Serginho Dest. Get all the Americans to Leeds now. Get them all there. Aronson, Dest. Get you the boy from, uh, from Valencia. Uh, Musa, get them all there. Weston McKenney, get him in. Get in Tyler Adams, get them all in. Get them all in and just have a big, a big American party there. Clint Dempsey, bring him back. Casey Keller, where's he? What's he doing with himself? Bit of experience there in goal. Um, Middlesbrough right wing back, Jed Spence. Wants a Premier League move as Manchester United, Manchester United, Arsenal and Tottenham are all interested. Nottingham Forest want to turn James Garner's loan into a permanent transfer. I don't think United will do that, but I can see why they'd want to. RB Leipzig are set for contract talks with Christopher Nkunku this summer, but will listen to offers in excess of 75 million euros. Manchester United, Liverpool, PSG, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Arsenal and Bayern Munich are all monitoring his situation. It goes without saying he should move to Liverpool. Tottenham have submitted a £2 million bid for Oxford United's Irish centre-back, Luke McNally. Luke McNally is very, very talented. I really want him... This is going to sound silly. I really want him to go to Burnley. I really want him to go to Burnley. I want to see him and Nathan Collins playing together at club and international level. I think those two could be a dominant pairing. If it's in the championship, it's in the championship, whatever. But even in the Premier League, I think they could develop a really good understanding. McNally's very talented. He's not quite Premier League ready just yet. But... Those two together, I think, could be could be very, very good. Um, McNally's a mead man, so we're throwing our lot behind him. Good stuff. Uh, right, what have we got left? Uh, Liverpool are set to sign Scottish youth international Ben Doak from Celtic for 600 grand. That deal is done. Signed, sealed and delivered. Ben is now a Liverpool player. A hugely promising young winger. Can play as a 10. He's played a little bit as a fullback as well. So 
versatility is key under Klopp. But it'll be exciting to see how he progresses now over the next couple of years with uh, a view probably to being fast-tracked into the first-team squad, which is what has happened with Kate Gordon and with Harvey Elliott. I think we'll see Bobby Clark next year as well on that fast-track path. Take note, Chelsea. Take note. Right, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we will have Young Drinkle with us. See you soon. Right, welcome back. So I'm joined by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am good, other than a bit of a cold. I, well, I hope it's a cold, but hey ho, we live in we live in COVID days. So cold, if it is COVID, COVID we'll, if it's COVID, we blame matches. We do, we do. Um, right, let's jump in. Then we've got ten Premier League games this weekend. Real football is back after that international nonsense in the week. So let's get us started. Yes, I've never been happier to see Liverpool play Watford in my life. <laughs> but that is the first game we have Liverpool against Watford. What do you think of this one? Liverpool at home, Liverpool second in the league, Liverpool close to full strength. The only players out will be Trent, who will be back midweek, but probably misses this one. Naby Keita, who's been in and out of training this week, but probably so probably misses out. And James Milner, who's got a virus, but should be okay. So Liverpool will be close enough to full strength. You'd imagine Gomez comes in at right back. Thiago starts in midfield. Milner wouldn't be starting anyway. Watford, third from bottom. One of the worst defences in the league. Uh, Injury-wise, no Ngakia, no Nkulu could be back. They're hoping he could be back. So we'll see. We'll see what they have. They're not going to have enough for Liverpool, though. I think Liverpool win this one comfortably. I'll go 4 0 to Liverpool. Yeah. The only doubt is that it's half 12, maybe a bit of rustiness. But yeah, Liverpool mm. should be all right. And a fair few players haven't gone to the international break, like Thiago and stuff who needed the break. So yeah, should be, should be. I don't want to say comfortable because I'll jinx it, but yeah, Liverpool should win. Uh, moving on to the three o'clock kickoffs, uh, this may be the most pointless game in football history: Brighton against Norwich. This well, is, this is a game Brighton will lose because they just do this. <laughs> this is a game where at least one terrible losing streak will come to an end because both of these teams are just in absolutely shocking form at the minute. Nil-nil draw. In a row. <laughs> nil-nil draw does seem likely. It's six defeats in a row for both sides. It, it, it's awful how bad they've been. Like, especially Brighton. You kind of expect it from Norwich because they're bottom of the league. Uh, these played out a nil-nil draw earlier in the season, back in October, when Brighton went through that three-month spell of not winning any matches at all. Uh, this was one of the early ones in that run. Uh, may even have been, I think, the second or third game they played in that run where they went three months without a win. Let me see. Uh, no, it was the third game in that three-month run. But like I say, six defeats each for both. Neither of them looking like they've got much clue on how to win a football match. Norwich have a bunch of injuries. Uh, Max Ahrens is a doubt. Brandon Williams is a doubt. Josh Sargent is a doubt. Iday, Omabamadeli, and Kabak are all out. For Brighton, it's Webster looking like he could be back, but it's still questionable. Lalana is out. Uh, Casado, they're hoping to be back, but he'll probably be next week. Lamptey's back. That's a big plus. And Alexis McAllister should be back. That's also a big plus. I'm going to go for the draw. I think this is going to be a, a fairly, what's the right word? I'll say tepid, a tepid game of football, a bland. If if beige was a football match, I think it will be this game of football. Oil in the bag rice game of football. Yes, yes. Flavorless yogurt. That's yeah. what this is going to be. Uh, I will say nil-nil. Uh, nil-nil and nobody goes home happy. Yeah, it won't be the best game, I imagine. Uh, moving on to the next three o'clock kickoff, it's Burnley against Man City. 
Now, any other... Well, it still will be the case, let's be honest, but Liverpool could be top of the league when this game happens. I, mm. They should be. But Man City do like beating Burnley at least by 4-0. Yes, yes, they do indeed. So, Ruben Diaz is out. Edison should be back. Stones should be back. Mendy is obviously out. And Cole Palmer is out, maybe done for the season. Diaz is the only real blow there because with Stones fit, well, to be fair, Stones just fills in for Diaz. Mm. Um, they weren't really relying on, on the others anyway. So If it is Laporte and Aki, though, I mean, two, it's two left-footed. It's two left-footed, so you'd be having a conniption. It's just, Sean Dyche will feel the same. It's disgusting. You'll be writing strongly worded letters to the Premier League and the I will. FA looking for points deductions and stuff. Absolutely. It should still be enough against Burnley. Uh, Burnley, obviously, second from bottom of the league. City top. Burnley have lost three in a row. City, their forms have been a little bit uneven lately. Obviously, the draw with Palace wasn't good. The defeat to Spurs wasn't good, but they are still a point clear. Mm-hmm. Now, like you said, they could be behind Liverpool by the time this game kicks off. So, and and in all likelihood, will be behind Liverpool. So it does put a bit of extra pressure. But Burnley, Eric Peters is out. Ben Mee is out. Nathan Collins is suspended. Vidra should be back. Goodmanson is out. I'm, I'm not sure who's starting at centre back next to James Tarkovsky. That's kind of my big concern. For Burnley, who is starting next to James Tarkovsky at centre-back? Because it's not as if they've got great squad depth. They've got three centre-backs, and with two of them out, I do wonder who fills in. Now, it's probably going to be Kevin Long. That's his name. I couldn't think of his name. (laughs) He's not a Premier League calibre player. He hasn't kicked a ball this season. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know how he gets on. So I think City will win this one comfortably. Like you said, they like winning this game 4 or 5 nil, and I'm going to go 4 nil. Yeah. Kevin Long, I, yeah, that's not a great look, to be fair. No. Not a great look, to be fair. Right, we'll move on. Um, Chelsea against Brentford. Now, if I remember correctly, I think Chelsea won the last game, but Brentford battered them for most of the yes. game. Is that when Mendy had like the best game ever? Edward uh, Mendy was man of the match by yes. a considerable margin that mm. day. Now, Brentford aren't that, well, seemingly aren't that team anymore. And Chelsea have kind of mm, revitalised their seasons probably too strong, but they found form after a difficult patch. Yeah. Now, this seems like Chelsea should just win this, but, I mean, Chelsea don't have loads to play for and Brentford obviously... Uh, not clear relegation yet. It could be. It should be more interesting than the other two big uh, games with the top three in. I'd say. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a closer game in terms of quality, at least because Brentford are substantially better than Burnley or Watford. But Chelsea should still win it comfortably at home. Yeah, they're they're in much better form. They're finding ways to win matches, which is what they were struggling with earlier in the season. Reese James is back. Hudson Adoy should be back. Pulisic should be available. Uh, Christensen should be available. Saul should be available. Kepa is back after COVID. I think Saul might have had COVID as well. Uh, ben Chilwell's the only absentee for them. For Brentford, Josh De Silva is out as he has been most of the season. When he did come back, he got sent off after like 10 minutes. Uh, Goldis and Janvier, who aren't really Premier League caliber players, they're both out. I don't think it really matters. I think at the early in the season at home, there was something about Brentford. They were getting better results than the team was really capable of. They were getting great support by the fans. They've had a very difficult season. They have turned things around recently and obviously had that, that little mini win, mini run of two wins in a row, which has sort of saved their season, so to speak. Lost last time out, but you're not really going to hammer them too much for losing uh, to, to Leicester. But I, I think they're going to get turned over here substantially. I'm going to go 3-0 Chelsea. I think it'll be easy enough for, for the home team. 
Yeah, they seem a different team when Reese does Reese James fit. Did you? Say? Yeah, he's back. So that's yeah, a big they're, plus. they're a different team with him. And well, whenever Chilwell gets back as well, take him to another level. I reckon. Um, probably the yeah. Well, this is the biggest three o'clock game. Leeds against Southampton should be the most fun one as well. You'd expect. Leeds obviously still in the relegation zone, and as we say, with well, basically you say every time you bring up Southampton, and we bring it up every Friday. They're either the, one of the best teams in the league or one of the worst teams. And before their um, international break, one of the worst teams. So mm. where was their coin being flipped this week? That's the thing. Literally, who knows? It is a coin flip with them. Some weeks they turn up and look absolutely inspired. And other weeks they turn up and look like they just met outside before the game. And it's all new to them. Leeds have won back-to-back games, but what's more impressive than the wins is the manner of the wins. Against Norwich, conceding late, and then going back down the other end and scoring. Against Wolves, admittedly with a big helping hand from the absolutely rubbish decision the referee made to send off uh, Raul Jimenez. But still, it it showed a lot of character to come back. Saints have lost their last three. It's in Leeds, which does give Leeds a big advantage. Now, Saints will be without Lianco, Smallbone, and Alex McCarthy. Oh, Smallbone could be back. Not that he'll start, but he's at least an option off the bench. Ariel Romeo being back is, is important to them. If he's back, they'll be fine in midfield. McCarthy's out. Wouldn't matter. He's not going to play. Uh, for Leeds, obviously, their injury situation is just horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. So, for this weekend, no Tyler Roberts. He's done for the season. No Patrick Bamford. He might be done for the season. Uh, Jamie Shackleton is injured. Junior Firpo is a doubt. Leo Geld is a doubt. Rafinha and Diego Loriente being back is, is huge. Absolutely huge. Ilan Melier is fit again, and Matthias Glish is fit. So, they're in a better situation than they have been most of the season, but still five players who are going to miss out. That's hard. Like when you don't have a big squad to begin with, that's hard, especially when your only proven goal scorer is one of those who's out. But Calvin Phillips being back is massive. And I assume Liam Cooper comes back into the team as well. And while he's not a great player, he at least offers organization and leadership. So, I think Leeds have a chance here. I don't think they'll win the game, but they do have a chance to get the win. I'll go the draw because I just don't think Southampton can continue to be so poor because they're not a poor team. They're just, like you said earlier, a coin flip. I'm going to go 2-2. I think it'll be a really exciting game. Yeah, it's basically Southampton decide if they win or lose that game. <laughs> Basically, how pretty much that's how football works in the uh, South. Coast. It's a match made in Red Bull, uh, yes, it is between Hassan Hootel and Jesse Marsh, both high pressing, aggressive teams. I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be really interesting to see the intricacies of Marsh's box midfield going up against the intricacies of Hassan Hootel's box midfield. So, um I'm looking forward to this one. I am, I, but I, I do think I do think a draw is the most likely outcome here. And that was the Ralph Ranick derby. Um, yes. Next up, I was trying to think of a link between Wolves and Aston Villa, but there is nothing. Portugal. It's a Midlands Spain. derby. Ah, don't count. Who cares? It's a Midlands derby. The Midlands um, is just a made-up place. That's true. It's true. It's like Middle Earth. Um, look. It's funny when you look at the league table and Wolves are one spot ahead of Villa and you think, oh, they're, they're pretty close, but then there's 10 points between them. Wolves have had a very good season. Villa have had a very inconsistent season. I think since Gerrard took over, they've won eight and lost eight in the Premier League with two draws. Mm. So that kind of speaks to what they are. To be fair, Wolves, if they didn't have that horrible spell under Dean Smith, they'd probably be the same as... Wolves, yeah, if they hadn't lost five in a row under yeah. Dean Smith in his last five games, if they'd maybe won even two of them, uh, they'd only be four points behind Wolves with this game to win potentially and a game in hand. Mm. Um, I, I really I'd like I'd say Lash. Villa has the better team on paper, though. Maybe not in midfield. I was thinking this earlier on. So I would go, I would go Eddie Martinez, 
as my goalkeeper of the two. Mm-hmm. I think I'd go Nelson Semedo slightly over Matty Cash. I really like Aiden Uri, but Dina is the answer at left back. Mm-hmm. Then Konza and Kilman. Yeah. So that's that's two from Villa, plus the keeper is three. And so two, three, two to Villa. Midfield, I think you'd go Neves for certain. I'm not really sure after that. I'd probably say Moutinho. I mean, Moutinho myself. when he's on is, is yeah. definitely the best, but it, he's just his age, he's not as consistent. But Douglas Louise is a very weird player, though, and John McGinn. Douglas Louise is too inconsistent as yeah. the issue. Uh, I'm not a John McGinn fan. No. I, I'd probably go with those two as just a midfield pair. Mm. So that's that's one from each. Oh, no, that's two from two from Wolves. So yeah, Moutinho yeah, yeah. and Neves. So that's four, three, two Wolves. Ruben Neto would be one wing and Coutinho the other. So that's five, four to Wolves. I'd have Watkins over Jimenez now. Watkins over Jimenez, definitely. Yeah. And then, I mean, what you could do, what you probably do here is you put Coutinho in the front line and bring in, in Ramsey into midfield. Yeah, that's a show. So it's probably six, five. To, to be fair, before his injury, Nakamba would probably be getting in this. Yeah, yeah, Marvellous was playing well. Um, it probably is 6-5 Villa, to be fair. Very close. Uh, but I think the players from Wolves that don't get in are better than the players from Villa who don't get in overall. And I think Bruno Lage is just a better manager than Gerard at this point. But mm-hmm. it is close. Like, it is close between them. Uh, Wolves fans will be outraged that, like, I haven't mentioned Pedence, um or Trinkiao or Huang. Pedence is a weird player. <clears throat> he is. He is a very strange player. He's a number 10 who plays like a winger, but when he plays as a winger, he plays like a number 10. I don't really know what to make of him, other than he's very talented. Little Hazard. Basically, and even like he does look a little bit like Hazard from when you see him with the ball, like the way he dribbles. Um, I think this should be a decent game. Uh, obviously, with Wolves, they're not going to give up huge amounts of chances. No Nakamba, no Courtney. Oh, Courtney House could be back, but no Nakamba for Villa. So they're going to struggle in midfield in that regard. But no Ruben Neves, no Raul Jimenez. Semedo's a doubt. Neto should be back. So that's big. And Kiana Hoiver is out. So no Neves is a huge blow. So it's likely mm. going to be Matinho. And then Donker in midfield, and then yeah. Donker's pretty good. So, with the home advantage, I'm going to say 2 1 Wolves, but I think it'll be a fairly close game. Yeah, it should be. Well, it's not on TV, so I won't be watching. It should be good for the match of the day highlights. Um, next up, then, we have Man United against Leicester, which I, I, I think should be a good game. I mean, the ball feels inconsistent <laughs> massively. Uh, yeah. I think it should be a fun game. I have no idea who will win, though. No, neither do I. This is a tough one because, like, two seasons ago, United finished third and Leicester finished fifth. Last season, United finished second and Leicester finished fifth. And you thought going into the season, they'd both be, you know, in and around the European spots. United, were, we were told, were going to challenge for the title when they signed Cristiano and Varane and Sancho. Uh, I did feel like Leicester's window for Champions League had closed, but I didn't think they'd be this bad. They've just gotten the news today that Wilf Ndidi is done for the season, so that's a huge blow to them. Vardy is still is still injured. Albrighton is back. Fafana is back. Luke Thomas is hurt. Harvey Barnes is back. Danny Ward and Ryan Bertrand are out. Neither of them will play. But a lot of injuries, and they've had that all season. Whereas United, Cavani just doesn't want to play and Greenwood's not allowed to play. So United will be at close to what they're considering full strength at the minute. It's in Manchester. You'd have to give United the advantage. I think you'd have to give United the advantage. So Is their, is their home record still bad or was that just an Ollie thing? I think it was largely just an Ollie thing. Although, what I will say is that under... Um, under Ralph, I mean, they've had a couple of stinking home performances. Mm. You think back to Watford uh, very recently, oh God, yeah. where Watford were really poor, and yet United 
couldn't beat them. Uh, before that, they beat Brighton at home. They drew with Southampton 1-1, beat West Ham, lost to Wolves, beat Burnley, and beat Crystal Palace. So it is better. It's just not good. It's no longer terrible, but it's not yet good. And it is, and they beat Spurs at home, obviously, as well. Sorry, Spurs was their last home game. They beat them with the Cristiano hat-trick. With the way Leicester defend, they will give United a lot of problems. Oh, sorry, a lot of opportunities. A lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. is what I mean. To be fair, Um, United missed chances, so you might have been right the first time. Yeah, United will miss miss a, a ton of chances. Um... I, I think I'm going to say a victory for United. I'll go 2-1. But I do think Leicester, if they set up the counter-attack, could exploit some of the weaknesses in United's defence, in particular mm. Harry Maguire, who Leicester will know very well. Plus Brendan wants to earn a job interview. Well, that's the thing. Like Brendan is probably outraged that he's not in the mix to be the next Manchester United manager. Um, so he, he will likely, uh, want to see his team go there and win. And they're capable of doing it because they have really good players and United aren't very good, but I do expect United to come away with a two, one win. Yeah. It should be a fun game. That is, uh, on sky for people who want to watch it. Um, on the Sunday, then we have West Ham against Everton. Ooh. Yeah. West Ham should win. Um, I'm guessing the Europa League's back on that week as well, so that's probably the only question mark you'd suppose, but Everton are dreadful. <laughs> that's just how I'd put it. Everton are awful. Everton are absolutely awful. A, a shocking collection of players. The club is just a joke top to bottom. No Yerry Mina, no Fabian Delph, no Alan. Uh, Van de Beek and Begovic are back, so there's that. No Andros Townsend, no Tom Davies. At least they have Calvert-Lewin, but they've no one to get him the ball and they can't stop the goals he's going not been in at the other end. coming back as well. No, he doesn't look like he's all mm. that bothered. Um, whereas with West Ham, they're hopeful that Bowen can make the bench, but they might be wise to hold him off with that big game Leon? coming up against yeah. Leon. yeah, yeah. Uh, Sufal, again, they're hoping to have him back. But Ben Johnson's done really well at right back for them. So they can hold him back for Leon as well. It, West Ham should win this game. West Ham are better than, than Everton. If they want to stay in the mix for top four, which is starting to look a little bit unlikely, they're six points behind Arsenal. They, they're going to need a win here. You, you can't afford to lose this one. So I'm going to go... West Ham to win 3-1. I don't know how Everton stop Mikel Antonio. I just don't see how they do that because they can't defend. So how are you going to stop Antonio? Yeah, that's it, basically. That is it. Uh, next up, we have Spurs against Newcastle. Now, if I remember correctly, this was Newcastle's first game under the new owners and they took the lead early and got very excited. Now, is this just going to be a marker of the progress they've made? Since appointing Eddie Howe and signing, was it five or six people in January? But it should be a good litmus test, you'd think. Definitely should. It definitely should. It's a good marker on how far they've come. Because like you said, it was the first game under the new ownership. They went in front, they got all excited, and then obviously it just didn't go their way. They had a really good spell very recently where they picked up a whole bunch of good results. You know, they, they had a couple of terrible ones, got hammered by Leicester, lost to Liverpool, hammered by City. But then they drew at United, drew at Watford, beat Leeds, beat Everton, beat Aston Villa, got the draw at West Ham, beat Brentford, beat Brighton, beat Southampton. It was really, really impressive. Then they lost to Chelsea, which is acceptable, but the defeat against Everton was unacceptable. Mm. completely unacceptable. One of the worst performances you're going to see. They were still the better team and should have won the game, but still, it was mm. unacceptable. Everton had had nobody. And Alan got sent off, and there was still 
I think that game played to like the hundred and fifth minute or yeah, something. It was, it was with the um, protester who handcuffed himself. Who handcuffed? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it with the, the stop oil thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they scored in the hundredth minute, so yeah, that will tell you where it went. They should have won that game comfortably. They had seventeen shots to nine, six on mm-hmm. target to three, sixty-two percent of the ball. Should have won it comfortably. Didn't. Spurs are. Also a very weird team, though, and it, they're so hard to predict. But I do see, I, I do see bits of Conte starting to shine through. Now, no Tanganga, he's done for the season. Sessignon is out, Skip is out. They're hoping Ben Davies will be back. Not that he's great, but he, he's the only left-footed centre-back option they have. For the tune, no Wilson, no Trippier. Fernandez, Shelby, Shar, and Dubravka are back. Uh, Hayden and Lewis obviously ruled out for the season. I think Spurs should win this game at home. They're clearly the better team. They've got the better manager. Kane is in form. Son is playing really well. I'll go 3 1 to Spurs, but it wouldn't surprise me if they lost because they're just that team. They've won two games in a row, and I don't like the fact they broke the pattern of winning one and losing one. I know. I just maybe they'll lose two now and then win two. That's how it goes. But uh, yeah, they are a weird team. Uh, we do have a Monday night game, though. We have the I'll go Ian Wright derby just for you, Dave, or yes. the Patrick Vieira derby, whichever you want. You want. Um, there'll be a more obscure one there, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, this one should be good. I. Didn't Palace play City on the Monday night football? I'm very impressive there. Um, obviously, this game will feel a bit weirder with the Vieira narrative and stuff like that. But Palace, I mean, they've got not nothing to play for, really, but they just seem to develop every week. They obviously battered Everton in the um, FA Cup before the international break. And Arsenal, our favourite for top four. Oh, what's their form? Arsenal lost one, which was to Liverpool, so that's fair enough out of the last five and won the rest. But you'd have to make Arsenal favourites, but I don't think it'd surprise anyone if Palace got something from the game. Agreed. I think Arsenal will go in as favourites, but I expect Palace to give them a tough game. Now, Palace have three injuries that they need to be careful with. One is James MacArthur. One is Wolf Zaha. And I think the most important one is actually Michael Elise. With, with an FA Cup semi-final coming up, I do think they need to be careful with those three players because MacArthur is very important for them in midfield. Alise and Zaha are their match winners. It wouldn't surprise me if they sat them out of this game and gave them the extra mm. bit of recovery time. That's a good point. Uh, now, Arsenal, uh, it looks like Ramsdale will miss out. Tomiyasu's a doubt. Uh, Bikayo Saka should be fine. I'm going to pick Arsenal to win. I don't think Arsenal will. I think Arsenal will end up fifth. I think Spurs have an easier run in. Arsenal's run in is very difficult. Like they've got this game, they've got Brighton, they've got Southampton. So tough mid table teams that can just make it awkward for you. But they've also got to play United, West Ham, Chelsea, and Spurs. I think, mm-hmm. and it's at Spurs, at West Ham, and at Chelsea. That's really tough. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll miss out, but I do think they get three points here. I'll go 2-1 to Arsenal. But like you said, I wouldn't be at all surprised if this ended up as a as a 1-1 or a 0-0. Palace should have beaten them earlier in the season in the game at Highbury. And that was obviously very early in the Vieira reign. He was still trying to figure things Emirates, out. Emirates, Dave, come on. It's not what did I say? You said Highbury. Highbury. God. Yeah, it's been the Emirates for a while now. <laughs> It'll always be Highbury. It's a, Highbury is where they belong. Let's let's build it back up and not this new fancy ground. Um, they were they were quite fortunate in that game to come back. They gone one up through Aubameyang. Benteke and Eduard put Palace two one up, and it took a ninety fifth minute Lacazette goal to rescue a point in a game where Palace were the better team, without question. So. Uh, I, I do think Palace can give Arsenal a game. I think there's definitely flaws in that Arsenal team that they can they can expose, but it is what it is. I think they they're better off focusing on the FA Cup semi final. They're going to be fine in the league. So you know if you, if you drop this one, it, it's grand. You'll be okay. Um, I'll, I'll go two one Arsenal. And that's the last game, and I can go enjoy the two hours of waffle for the World Cup draw. You can indeed. So. 
Uh, if you're wondering why we've not talked with the World Cup draw, it hasn't taken place yet. It's taking place in half an hour. Apologies, this one is out late. It's been late a few times recently. That is entirely my fault. But given that Guy may have COVID, we're going to blame Carl Matchett. So direct all complaints to at Carl Matchett uh, and you can just give him torrents of abuse. Or straight to the independent. Either or straight, exactly. Go straight to the top and complain to the independent about what he's doing. Uh, that is it from us. We will speak to you Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.